Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore Supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Ooh, we are in trouble. The most current 2022 stats on metabolic health just came out a few months ago, and the new percentage of adults struggling with some degree of metabolic dysfunction, well, let's just say the new number is staggering. Are you ready for it? It's 92%. That means only 8% of us have good metabolic function. Ah! And this is up from 88% back in 2019. So what I want to know is what did the pandemic do to us? And these numbers are directly tied to blood glucose levels and insulin resistance. So today I wanted to shine a light on the 10 most common reasons we are seeing rising fasting blood glucose levels in adults over time. But before I dive in, I want to give some context and answer a question that I get a lot. And that is, is having high blood glucose dangerous? In short, it can be. Now, untreated high blood glucose can lead to a wide range of health issues, some of the most common being chronic system-wide inflammation, cardiovascular disease, vision impairment, kidney disease, polycystic ovarian syndrome, obesity, low energy, nerve damage, tooth decay, damaged blood vessels, and cognitive decline. Now, having high blood glucose also puts us at risk for mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative stress. Now, the former is a condition in which mitochondria fail to produce energy for our cells, right? That's why we feel tired. That's why we're struggling with cravings and just feeling hangry. And the latter occurs when free radicals outnumber antioxidants in the body and increase the risk of disease and other damage. Now, to avoid these risks, catching high blood sugar early on, then taking action to treat it is extremely important. And as I've shared so many times on this podcast, maintaining blood sugar levels is really the name of the game. And I believe that when we know the cause of higher and higher blood sugar, we can make changes to swap our habits and our lifestyle. So without further ado, let's kick off the 10 most common reasons blood glucose levels are steadily rising in adults and even children. Let's kick off the obvious. Number one, processed foods and sugar. Diet is a big part of why we see rising blood glucose values, and it can vary immensely from person to person. But the research suggests that eating processed foods, particularly ones high in sugar and high in hydrogenated fats or processed fats, can 100% increase blood sugar. And this has a lot to do with insulin resistance and just burdening the liver overall. Next is overeating and grazing. It's a common belief that snacking throughout the day, aka grazing, (laughs) will keep blood sugar levels steady. 
let me tell you, this is not true. Now, a 2013 study found that eating two large meals per day helped reduce blood glucose more effectively than six small meals per day. It's also important to keep our meals to the right portions because overeating, as we know, can raise blood sugar levels as well. The other thing that we know about grazing throughout the day is it never gives our body a chance to recover, especially our mitochondria. And that's why we see that higher level of mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative stress. Number three, dehydration. I always say if you are feeling like you've got a craving coming on or you're feeling hangry, try drinking a big glass of water first and see how you feel. So often our bodies confuse thirst with hunger. So some of the research that we found connects between low water intake and a greater risk of hyperglycemia. This is most likely because less water in the body means the concentration of glucose is higher in the blood. So just something to think about. That also triggers more insulin release and it triggers more cravings. Next, probably one that we don't think a lot about, but definitely playing a role here, is vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So research on this is definitely still ongoing, yet studies suggest that diets lacking in micronutrients such as chromium, magnesium, vitamin D, and B vitamins may contribute to high blood sugar. So again, it's super critical to make sure that we're well-nourished and that we are upping our supplement intake so that we are meeting those needs so our body isn't feeling the need to have to compensate. Next one, again, a no-brainer here, sedentary lifestyle, right? Physical inactivity. So exercising prompts our body to burn more energy than usual. And as a result, we consume more glucose, right? Especially when we use those muscles. So maintaining a low level of physical activity means that we are not using the glucose and it's staying inside of the bloodstream, forcing the liver and forcing insulin to really bring it all up. This raises our overall blood sugar values in the process. So we know that sedentary lifestyle has a number of contributions towards inflammation, this being one of those. So exercise is huge. And what we know is that when we're using our muscles, especially with strength training and weightlifting, that we become more insulin sensitive because we require less insulin for the rest of the day to control our glucose levels. This is why I highly recommend, you know, strength training a couple times a week and walking after meals. If we can lower that postprandial, meaning that post-glucose rise after a meal, because we walked for, gosh, even five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, um, we really change the game in terms of insulin sensitivity. Next is stress. Stress is one of those, again, one of the most insidious ways that we create inflammation and really mess with our body, but what a lot of us don't realize is stress plays a huge role in insulin resistance. Part of the body's fight or flight system, stress is designed to produce additional glucose. Another facet of this response is an increase in the hormone cortisol and high cortisol can reduce the body's sensitivity to insulin. As a result, blood glucose levels may also increase. So it's a twofold situation here. One, if our body is in fight or flight, we have to pull glucose and there's more glucose in the blood and then due to high levels of cortisol, I mean, again, cortisol is one of those master universal stress hormones that really throws everything out of whack. So again, we're deregulating blood sugar and insulin due to high levels of stress. And if you ever decide to wear a CGM or if you've worn one, you'll notice that you're going into a stressful situation, your fasting or your, your blood sugar is going to go up on that CGM. Next, and I've seen this on a continuous glucose monitor, is poor sleep. A lack of quality of sleep can inhibit 
how much insulin in your body can be released. It can also cause the production of cortisol, which makes it harder for insulin to work. When your body's insulin cannot properly metabolize the glucose in your blood, glucose then remains there and glucose levels rise over time. I have seen this, gosh, when I've had a really bad night of sleep or I've been up a lot with Kingston, my CGM the next day is just a lot more. My blood glucose is variable. So my stats off my CGM are just all over the place. It's crazy to see that in real time. But man, poor sleep, you don't have to have a CGM to know that poor sleep is messing with you. But one of the areas that you really will see it on, you know, in real time is in your blood sugar. Next is hormone changes. So it isn't just stress and sleep that can cause fluctuations in our blood sugar. Hormones, illness, physical pain, trauma, menopause, or menstruation can also majorly shift and change blood sugar and insulin. Any of these instances, your blood sugar levels may rise due to the change in your hormone levels. So just a heads up, and I see this all the time, especially the last week heading into your period, you're going to just be more naturally insulin resistant. The first week of your period, you're going to see more insulin sensitivity. So we know that different parts of the cycle, you're going to have more sensitivity than others. We also know clearly changes happen during perimenopause and menopause. And then also we know that illness and even pain and trauma can absolutely have an impact on blood sugar. I remember I did an episode not too long ago where I shared this little girl having a lot of trauma and her blood sugar was just out of control because of it. And so again, these things are worth considering. They're not the case for all of us, but they are definitely levers that we can potentially modify and shift if need be. Next is, these are some that we don't really think about too often, but medications. So certain medications, including steroids and beta blockers can disrupt insulin's effectiveness. Others like second generation antipsychotics and certain antibiotics may contribute to high blood sugar. However, again, research is ongoing about why this is happening. But we just know there's side effects to taking certain medications and it's no surprise that certain medications are messing with our metabolic health. Next is genetics. And, you know, again, our genetics, we definitely have some room in terms of not necessarily, I don't know if we can ever shut a gene off, but we could definitely dim it down significantly. But if you have a family history of high blood sugar and specific genes that may increase a person's chances of having high blood glucose and developing diabetes, again, people that are African-American, American Indian, Asian-American, Pacific Islander, even Hispanic heritage may have greater risk. I come from Hispanic heritage, and so I have a lot of family members, including an uncle, cousins, aunts that have type 2 diabetes, that develop type 2 diabetes. And so I remember when I ran my full genetic profile, and you're looking at specific biomarkers for what you have a propensity for, that was the one gene that really showed up, is that I have a very high propensity for type 2 diabetes. And so I have a high propensity for high blood sugar and insulin resistance. And knowing that just makes me the ever more on top of it and aware that I've got to really keep my blood sugar dialed, right? And then we've got insulin resistance. And so I know we tend to like, they're definitely, <laughs> what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Um, 
what comes first really is high blood glucose levels and then insulin resistance as a result. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but we know that once you have insulin resistance, you don't necessarily have a lot more wiggle room. When you've got hyperinsulinemia, um, you're going to create more inflammation and drive a metabolic dysfunctional response because of it. So high insulin resistance, this condition occurs when cells in your muscles, fat, and liver are unable to use glucose in the bloodstream for energy. Your pancreas responds to increase in glucose by producing more and more insulin to help you process it. This excess amount of insulin in the bloodstream can eventually cause your body to lose insulin sensitivity and build resistance to it, leading to higher blood glucose levels. So this is a major player, but then again, it's, it is really tied to the blood sugar issue to begin with. But the more insulin resistant we are, the more challenging it is to get back to baseline. So it definitely is a, a very common reason why our blood sugar levels are steadily rising. All right, those are it. That's the 10 most common reasons. And so what I want to do is now that we've got them and I want you to kind of check in with yourself and see like, huh, what are some of these areas I should be looking at? And, you know, what are some levers I can pull? And what I'm going to do in the rest of this episode next is I'm going to teach you or show you how to diagnose high blood glucose because doctors use three main tests to gauge patients' blood glucose levels. And one of the things I really want you to advocate for is getting your blood sugar looked at every single year minimum. And ideally, if you've got the investment, even if it's just two weeks or a month, I would invest in getting a continuous glucose monitor. And I will have a link in the show notes for the glucose company NutriSense. I both like NutriSense and Levels. I've worn them both, but I have a discount with NutriSense. So I think it's worth putting the link in there. And what I do like about NutriSense is you can also get a, a coach or a dietitian to help you. Just interpret what you're seeing, make some suggestions. I find that that to be really helpful. So I'm going to share the three different tests that you can be asking for. And then I'm also going to share 10 things that you can do to flatten your blood sugar and keep it stable. And I've been sharing these 10 things throughout the last several episodes for almost a year now, but I just want to compile them and keep it super short. And you can pick one or two that feel easy to you, feel aligned with your lifestyle and start giving them a try. What I will say is picking two of them will absolutely change your life. We're going to get to that in just a second. Now, the three main tests to gauge patients' blood sugar levels. Number one. A fasting blood glucose test. This is the one you're probably very familiar with. Conducted after fasting for eight hours. Sometimes they want you to fast for 12. And usually by the time you get to the doctor, it's usually about 12 since dinner. And a reading of 100 milligrams per deciliter or more is considered high or a sign of prediabetes. While a reading of at least 126 milligrams per deciliter indicates type 2 diabetes. However, for optimal health, this is what I recommend... I recommend aiming for a fasting blood glucose value below 85 milligrams per deciliter. You want to be in the range that is in the optimal range. You know, this is what I want to see when I wake up in the morning when I'm wearing a CGM is I want to see myself between 70 and 75 milligrams per deciliter. That's what I call a sexy blood sugar number in the morning. When I am at a value of 85, I know that I have been doing some stuff the day before, you know, to drive that number up. I rarely, rarely get up to 85 milligrams per deciliter. I consider this to be in the danger zone, but you know, this is a good starting point. Number two, 
oral glucose tolerance test. So conducted after fasting for eight hours, you drink a high sugar glucose solution. Most women who are pregnant, this is what they are given. Wait two or more hours. A reading of at least 140 milligrams per deciliter is considered a sign of prediabetes. A reading of 200 milligrams per deciliter or higher is type 2 diabetes. And for optimal health, you want to aim for a two-hour glucose of basically 100 milligrams per deciliter or lower. That's the goal. And then the last one, which is probably my favorite, the reason, two reasons why I love it. Number one, you don't have to fast. So you can, you can take this test whenever. Um, and the other thing is it gives you kind of a three month average reading of what is going on. So that is going to be the hemoglobin A1C test or for short A1C test conducted anytime throughout the day. A result below 5.7 is considered normal. A result greater than 5.7 is considered basically 5.7 is the is the point. So if you have a 5.7 or higher, it's an indication of prediabetes. A result of 6.5 or higher is an indication of type 2 diabetes. Ideally, I'd love to see a 5.0% here because that would mean no insulin resistance. You know, even a 5.5, there's definitely some level of insulin resistance if a 5.7 is prediabetic, right? So now that you've got the three tests, again, this is what you're going to be asking for. I would specifically ask always for a hemoglobin A1C once per year. They're always going to do the fasting blood glucose test or they better, but ask to do the hemoglobin A1C as well, because you'll get a good sense of what's been going on the past three months. And if it is at a 5.6 or seven, ask to have it read again, 90 days from now, you know, just say, Hey, I'm at the brink of prediabetes. I need to know if I can reverse this with lifestyle. Can I please come back in? If they won't, you can even go to a lab like LabCorp and order it. And it's a really inexpensive test just so you can track what's going on. Even better yet, you can, again, get a continuous glucose monitor and be tracking that yourself on the daily and look at real time what is making a difference in your blood sugar levels. You know, is it sleep? Is it stress? Is it what you ate for breakfast? Is it how late you ate at dinner? Is it coffee? Like, what is it? What's the thing? What are the levers you can pull to get your blood sugar back down to normal range? All right. Now that you've got the testing and you know what to ask for, I can't wait to share the 10 seamless strategies to start using immediately to help you keep your blood sugar level stable or to drop them, right? To drop your blood sugar, then get it stable. So with these 10 steps, get ready to say goodbye to increases in your blood sugar. So I'm going to start with number one. Again, these are in no particular order. And I actually may have a bonus one too. So just a heads up. <laughs> number one. Eat a savory breakfast that is protein focused so that you feel fuller longer, right? Do not start breakfast with dessert. Please don't, right? Do not start breakfast with a vanilla latte or a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> Anytime we're drinking sugar, it's going to spike and wreck our blood sugar for the rest of the day and maybe even the next day. Number two, walk for 15 to 30 minutes after lunch and dinner. And if you could only do it once after dinner. The research shows that we can drop our postprandial blood sugar levels by about 40% if we go and walk for 15 to 30 minutes after dinner. That's massive. That is a game changer for any of us. Number three, combine your carbs with protein and fat. And even better yet, eat the protein and fat first, then have the carbs. That way you can blunt that blood sugar response on the back end. Number four, 
Start lunch or dinner with a fiber starter, like a small salad, to soak up all of the glucose from that main meal. So if you can start with a fiber starter, like a salad with a vinaigrette for extra blood sugar stabilizing, I mean, then have the sweet potato, right? <laughs> have a little bit of rice with your meal because you have really kind of put that gel-like barrier around your small intestine so that sugar is absorbed into the blood much, much shorter or much, much slower. Number five, eat dessert after a meal consisting of protein, fats, and lots of fiber. So don't eat dessert on its own or for breakfast or for a snack. So skip the sugary snack. If you're going to do dessert, do it after lunch or dinner. And ideally, the best time to do it is have a really robust lunch. Do what the Italians do, right? Lunch is the biggest meal of the day because they know we're in a more thermogenic state during the day. Then have the dessert and then have a smaller dinner, no dessert. That would be my recommendation. Number six, and we talked about this already, get high quality sleep. So if there's any little tweaks and changes that you can make to create a better sleep routine for yourself, just commit. I have a whole shorty episode on five sleep hacks to really get better sleep. And here, I get it. Like last night, Kingston's got the sniffles. He's got a little bit of congestion. He hasn't had a cold or anything since January this year. Gosh, nine months ago. So he's really struggling because he's like, what is this? So last night we were up a ton. So my quality of sleep was in the crapper. Like I have a whoop strap on and it gives me a body battery, a body score every single morning. It was 34% today. You know what I'm saying? So again, high quality sleep is so important. I get it getting compromised, but do your best. Do the best you can. If it means you got to go to bed earlier, then just do it. Number seven, Add 20 to 30 minutes of weight training to build muscles about three to four times a week, even three times a week. Man, it's a game changer. If you're a big runner, I love that you run, but let me tell you, running is a really big stressor on the system and it doesn't move the needle like weight training. Like I would swap running for weight training any day of the week because the juice is worth the squeeze there. You're going to get way more out of stabilizing your blood sugar from weight training than you will running. Number eight, create a morning metabolic boosting routine. I have full on episodes specifically on this. I have a new shorty coming out talking about what to do at 8 a.m. in the morning to stabilize your blood sugar. So just go and check it out. I share the morning metabolic boosting routine all the time and I will be sharing it in just a couple days. Number nine, try out a 12 to 14 hour fast four to five times a week, right? Again, listen to your body. If there is a day where you're like, I can't do a fast, don't even worry about it. But a circadian fast, it's reasonable. I think so. You know, you have dinner, you know, before seven and then you have breakfast at 7 a.m. Bam, 12 hours circadian fast. I like to push it to 14. I don't usually do more than 14. And I like to have dinner as early as possible. We've been having dinner at 5.30 every single day. And so that's been working for us. That means I am done eating by 6 p.m. And I have noticed a massive shift in my blood sugar at night when waking up in a fat burning state, which is what I want. Number 10, increase your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And what this means is walk, walk everywhere, get a Fitbit. If you don't have a Fitbit already, like take the stairs when there's an option between an elevator and stairs, park further from the parking lot. I'm trying to get my steps. Like I, I was thinking someone was asking me like, what's important to you? I'm like getting my steps every day at, at 40 years old. That's my focus. So I got 17,000 steps yesterday, almost 18,000. I average at least 10,000 a day. And so again, 
I try to do everything I can to walk as much as possible. I park further away, all the things. So again, anything you can do to increase that non-exercise activity thermogenesis during the day is a win. And then my bonus, if you know you're struggling with insulin resistance, if you know you're a part of the 92%, right? And I think I'm a part of the 92%. I'm close to good metabolic health. I'm close to really good metabolic flexibility. And here's the thing, it's all, it's a gray area. There are definitely days and weeks where my metabolic flexibility is on point. And then I'll have a weekend where, you know, we go out with friends a lot or we go out to dinner and I don't always know what's in the, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, or I'll make a choice where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have the rice, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. And then I'll notice that it'll take me a couple days. I'll have more blood sugar variability. It'll be a little bit all over the place. I'll notice that I'm more in a sugar burning state using my lumen. And um, it'll take me a couple days, sometimes even a week to get back into metabolic flexibility. And what I'll notice is that if I'm I'm really on it, if I'm on these, these 10, 11 um, incredible hacks, these lifestyle changes in these habits that I have great metabolic flexibility. But I also know that my body can shift really fast out of metabolic flexibility if I'm not on it. I just don't have a lot of wiggle room. And that is consistent with all the devices that I use. The Lumen device, the continuous glucose monitor, my whoop strap. I just notice all these things. And when I am out of it, I take more supplements. I do what I can to get myself back into that metabolic flexibility. Now, one of the supplements that I created that I can't take yet because I'm still breastfeeding is my glucose support. It is a herbal metabolic flexibility blend, but most importantly, it's a blood sugar stability blend. And so what I recommend is if you are struggling with metabolic flexibility, if you're struggling, you know you are burning more sugar than you would like, I love the glucose support because you can take it in the morning at 8 a.m. or before 8 a.m. It's going to set the tone for a big part of your day and then take it before dinner because it's your biggest meal of the day or often it's our biggest meal of the day to reduce your blood sugar by 35 to 40%. It's huge. It's a big jump. Taking glucose support and doing another one of these steps, another one of these habits, you are going to significantly decrease your blood sugar and keep it more stable. So those are the 10 easy strategies to implement. And what I want to know, I know you've heard some of these before, but which one of these 10 strategies are you down to try this week? Or which ones are you already doing? Now, as I've shared before, I first started with one of the easiest ones for me, which is eating a savory breakfast with a protein focus. Because... I just eat leftovers from the night before. We're really good about making, I love leftovers. I'm not going to lie. My husband, he wants something new every single day. Me, I eat to live. He lives to eat. So, you know, we make it work. And Kingston loves leftovers too. He, at least that's where he's at right now. Um, and the second one that I started, which I am absolutely in love with, is walking after dinner and walking throughout the day, but I try to walk after dinner and lunch. And let me tell you, there's so many side benefits to doing that. The other one that I absolutely love that I've been doing for a long time is weight training. But I've really stepped up the weights and it has made a huge difference. So those are the ones that I absolutely love. And then the other one that I absolutely love too is if I'm ever going to do dessert, like I do love me some dark chocolate, I ain't going to lie, I will always have it after lunch. And what I've noticed is that on my CGM, when I have some dark chocolate after lunch, I see almost no change. But if I have that dark chocolate after dinner... <laughs> Ooh, girl, let me tell you, it goes up. <laughs> so again, I like the CGM because it really 
tells me, okay, you've got some wiggle room here. You ain't got no wiggle room there. That really gives me a great, and it tells me which of these habits, which of these strategies is worth it to me. So I just wanted to share that with you. Those are the ones I love. And by choosing one or two of these three habits, these habits, you will noticeably shift your body, your blood sugar in less than two weeks. That's what I can promise you. If you choose one to three of these habits, you will notice a massive shift. That's how powerful they are. Now, if you do choose a couple, let me know by DMing me on Instagram at Dr. Marisa. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what's working for you. And as always, thank you so much for listening in on the Essentially You podcast. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. If there's someone who needs to hear this today, let them know. Send them a text message, share it on social, DM them. You know how to get in front of them. If you do, share it on Insta, hashtag hormone CEO. And until the next episode, I'm going to be in Italy, but I'm going to be still making it happen. Have an amazing day.